0: welcome to another episode of metal mastermind your host jason stallworth and co-founder of metal mastermind ken candelas <laughs> what's going on jason man what's up dude um we've got a really interesting topic today something that uh something that all of us deal with at some level and we're just going to call it gas right
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh known as gas in the real world of you know well, amongst all my peers at least uh we call it gear acquisition syndrome um, oh man yeah this is uh something very relatable for i think any musician and any producer any person who's trying to elevate their game when it comes to making music um you know you you've been guilty of it i've been guilty of it <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, and I I know, like I know a lot of people uh, that do have a lot of gear and they collect, and and you know, Lucas, if that's what you do, that's fine. Um, And that kind of goes back to what we talked about. Was it last? I think it was the time before our first podcast episode where we talked about hobbyist versus professional. Um, There may be people out there that it's kind of a hobby to collect music gear and guitars, and and that's great. Uh, But if you're in the business at, at any level, full time, part time, or just gigging or whatever you know that 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 gas that gear acquisition syndrome can sometimes overshadow the income that you're making right oh yeah
1: <laughs> yep uh i mean i think a lot of us are mostly in the negative in our first years
0: <laughs> yeah yeah dude
1: um but you know that that always you know bothered me uh because it's like you're you're starting to you know go down this road of trying to create better quality content and music. And when you have this moment of saying, I need something to elevate my current setup. I think there's an important thing that we have to think about first, before we click the buy button, which is what is really the thing that needs to be elevated? And to be honest about that, because is it something that needs to be elevated or is it something that we just want to be elevated? Um, and then what is the cost versus, you know, let's say we went a different route. Let's say we did a, let's say you were more of a DIY person, right? For example, um, let's say this guitar cable, right? You know, you're like, oh man, I, maybe this guitar cable, might create better tone for some reason well is it better to get the pre-made cable or is it better to spend some time uh trying to learn how to solder and make your own cables you know is it is it worth that you know that's something uh i talk about with my own students called opportunity costs
0: we pay uh, for convenience sometimes too you know sometimes we pay we know we pay for convenience like myself i'm not a DIY person I mean, you put tools in my hand and i'm probably going to screw it up that goes from from music equipment to doing stuff around the house so i usually i i like the idea of outsourcing things that i'm not good at so that i can focus on the things that i am you know better at so but yeah i, I get it though if, if you're on a budget then you kind of have to like you know narrow that down it's like what do i what do I really need? You know, what, what's, what's going to really help me?
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's a hard decision. It really is. It comes with a lot of research. You have to do a bit of research into seeing, you know, all the components that might affect the outcome, because if I'm saying, all right, I'm going to get, you know, this really high quality interface, for example,
0: this is a good um, one. This is a very, very good one. I like I like where we're going here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I want to get a really high-quality interface, and then you want to say, okay, well, this interface, the reason why I'm getting this interface is because it has uh, better conversion or it has better mic prees, or right. whatever. Okay, that's great. Um, well, what's the source that you're recording with? Oh, okay. Is it a you know, $100, you know, condenser mic that you got off of eBay from secondhand user? Or is it, you know, this brand new, um, maybe like mic emulation technology that is Mm. like $1,200 to get, you know? And you have to ask, was it, is it worth getting the better interface? Or is it getting, is it worth getting the better microphone? Well, you know, these are the, the kinds of questions that we have to ask and I I remember a long time ago we actually we had this video on uh, the golden rules of recording yep and the first golden rule uh is got nothing to do with gear
0: <laughs> it's it's
1: all about what's what the performance quality is like
0: right right right
1: so we're sometimes we get really hung up on gear and we forget that, you know, somebody on the other end is not going to really know the the quality of what we put into our music. They're going to listen to the music.
0: <laughs> well, does it sound good? Does it resonate with me, or does it not? You know, as far as listener goes, and uh, you know, now guitar players. Well, yeah, I mean, every musician has their own, I guess. Uh, you know, gear acquisition syndrome. As a, you're a drummer, so there, there's endless amounts of things you can buy for your drum set, different mics. You know, quality stands versus you know mid grade stands for the mics, that sort of thing, and um and guitars of course guitarists are maybe that might be the worst (laughs) because they'll have a wall of guitars and they might only really play three of them and if you're playing if you're playing professionally or even even part-time do you actually need all those guitars right at some point right when are you breaking even and, and actually uh you know generating revenue from your craft versus going in the hole if you're paying if you're playing live gigs but you're still going in the hole because you're buying a guitar like every third gig so it's like okay
1: (laughs) absolutely you know and you might be looking at you know my background and saying oh well ken you got a lot of gear yeah i do have a lot of gear that i've also acquired over like 15 years (laughs) sure so it's it's also a bit of perspective you know i've been i've always been one to be really into gear uh into getting high quality gear especially because one of my fascinations about audio was mastering so if you ever go into a mastering studio all you see is like super audio gear
0: (laughs) yeah high-end stuff man very high-end stuff
1: and i was always inspired by that so When I decided to build my studio, there were a couple of very important choices that I made. The first thing was that I knew that initially, and this is the first time in my life that I've been ever able to have a space where I could actually do proper recording. So every time before then has always been a situation of figuring out how can I get the best listening experience because... I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make the best recording experience. So right. if I could work with just, can I listen to my mixes properly? That's my starting point. And it starts with the room. It starts with making sure you, you do the due diligence yeah. of putting some acoustic treatment or organizing furniture in a way that can help with sound quality or even just ergonomics. And making it feel comfortable and then starting to uh, uh, tackle what are the elements that are necessary in order to make a successful production, right? And that probably starts with a computer. You know?
0: That's a great point because, you, you know, Ken, you could buy a bunch of stuff, right, for mastering and mixing and all that. And like, well, I need this, I need this rack mount, I need these tools over here. But when you put it all together, it's it's kind of hard to know what's really working. And do you even know how to use, like, you know how to use this stuff, right? But but a lot of people that buy a bunch of gear, do you know how to use it properly? You know, do you even know how to use this stuff? Do you know what it, each and everything does? And I almost feel like every component that you have, I think is, and I'm guilty of not doing this, by the way. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of preaching to myself, but uh, it, it's good to know that piece of equipment, almost like the back of your hand. So that you know how to how it works, and especially when it comes to uh, things like plugins, mixing and mastering tools. Your doll, for example, right? I've seen people. Well, I've got to get this other doll because it just came out and it's better. Or I've got I've got the new version of Studio One in my case. Well, do you know how to properly use everything that you really need to use in that component now? And I would say you know, educate ourselves a little bit more so that we know it. And then we can decide, well, do I really need this other thing? This, what we call it, the shiny object syndrome, or am I okay with what I have, right?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, also, I want to say that most analog gear is probably a luxury at this point,
0: Mm. That's we're getting into that towards the end, by the way, right? We're going to talk about, (laughs) we're going to talk about amps versus uh, plugins and and just plugins in general versus hardware. Right. So yeah, that's, that's coming up guys.
1: (laughs) Because let's, let's talk about some of the essentials that we need in a studio, right? Right. We have a good computer, something that can tackle with enough Ram and you know, why do you need Ram? Well, you need Ram to be able to operate plugins and, all this kind of stuff. So that your computer can handle multiple processes at the same time, essentially. So you get more RAM, you get a computer that's moderately up to date. You know, it doesn't have to be like top of the line stuff. It just
0: like, you know, Mac or whatever.
1: Yeah, you get something like, uh, I have actually a a six core, uh, like 3.8 gigahertz processor. Cool. doesn't need to be anything crazy. Uh, It just needs to be able to be fast enough to process audio uh, at a quality, you know, sample rate. That's it. So you, you you get the you get the computer core all managed. From that, you need an audio interface. You need something to have you know, ins and outs between the computer and the real world. And then there you have to decide speakers and microphones, right? Yeah. Speakers are a completely subjective thing. And it's also really hard to tell anybody what speaker they should get.
0: Uh, Although people do. (laughs) They
1: do. They do. And, you know, but everybody has their own objective opinion. Right. Right. And it all depends on how much experience you have with speakers in order to be able to give some, you know, sound advice, (laughs) unintended, on this kind of stuff. So. It took me you know buying from a whole bunch of you know different manufacturers over the years to to kind of find out what i like yeah uh but it might not be what you like right so that's a personal choice
0: it is a personal choice and here's i'll throw this out there and i actually i want to know how you feel about this so like i've i know some people love krks some people dislike them I I don't think they're one of your favorites. I think we talked about this, but I've had the same, you know, five inch KRK monitors since 2009. Where are we now? 2023. So uh, I suck at math, but a long time now. What I've noticed, though, because I've listened to other people's speakers in their studio. and I'm like, something doesn't sound right. What I think could happen and tell me what you think about this is that. If you mix so much with those speakers, and of course, you're not always just listening to your studio. You're 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 dumping it down to an mv 3 listening into it in other sources like your car, uh, headphones, your computer even, right, to make sure it sounds good in those sources. Once you kind of nail that down, it's like, okay, you have an idea. Uh, you become used to your monitors, whatever monitors they may be. Is that, is that a thing as opposed to like, well, I need to upgrade every year, every two years when the latest and greatest comes oh, out. 100%.
1: Know? Yeah. You have to, well, back to the mastering engineer thing for a moment. Yeah. One of the things about a mastering engineer is they are deathly afraid of changing their speakers.
0: Oh yeah. I bet, dude. I you know,
1: bet. you're, you're so Part of being a mastering engineer is you're so accustomed to what you're hearing, you know, every single tidbit and, you know, pro and con about the speaker that you have in your room and all the acoustics and how it sounds. So the moment you change your speakers, even changing the placement of your speakers, you've now completely removed any knowledge of what your mix sounds like. Because you are listening in a completely different environment and or in a different neatly new way. So yeah. that that's really important to understand because it's not about the quality speaker that you have, although that can help. It's all about how well do you know what you're listening to.
0: Yeah. How you interpret that, right?
1: So you have to really that's why I say, you know, get something that you 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 like. And but you have to just spend time with it and listen. One of the things that um, I'll say this, and this actually comes from our one of our courses, uh, Metal Producer Overlord Mixing Series, uh, Nick Z. He was mentioning that before you start mixing, listen to other mixes before mm-hmm. you get into mixing mode, so that you are you know, refreshing your ears and training your ears on how other people's mixes sound like on your system. And then you have, you're coming, you're kind of warming up your ears. You're walking into your mix, like warmed up saying, okay, I know what I should be expecting out of my system. If I'm trying to compete on a commercial level.
0: So you're saying, listen to it uh, in in your studio monitors, listen to that mix in your listen to where,
1: listen to where you actually mix.
0: That's, that's a powerful tip, dude. That's 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 gold. Like, we just, if you're looking for a gold nugget, there's many, I think, in this podcast, but that is that is a gold nugget. Listen to other mixes through your source that you're mixing with. No, dude, that's, because, you know, I've always thought of, well, I'm listening to this in my car because that's where it sounds, you know, better and, and more full, I guess. Uh, and then I come upstairs, listen to it on my computer speakers, but I've never actually sent them through my studio monitors. Other, you know, like Delane, Amanomar, Metallica, whatever, right? Um, never really thought about that before I don't know why but hey you learn something new every day if you, <laughs> if you allow yourself to you know to learn and so thank you Nick Z by the way guys uh, uh metalmastermind.com that's where all of our courses are and uh Nick Z has a phenomenal mixing course on there I mean this dude you know I, I've had the privilege of having you know several conversations with him uh I've I've learned a lot already and I haven't even touched the course yet i'm going to be diving into that for my own album but yeah do do check that out and all of our courses at Uh, metalmastermind.com that's a really valuable tip man
1: yeah nick z uh also mentioned this which was something that i always subscribe to as well which is that the whole car testing is really it's really a myth um Hmm. the reason why uh people say The car test is because if that's where you mostly listen to your music, it's where you're mostly acute to the differences in tonal quality of sound.
0: Okay. Okay. So,
1: you know, you're used to listening to let's say Metallica or Megadeth in your, you know, car on the way to work. It's your source of playback for a lot of things. So you know how it feels when you listen to it through that medium. If you're not, you know, in your car listening to music on your way to work all the time, let's say, you know, for example, like I'm a city guy. I live in New York City. I don't really take a car to work. But what I do is take headphones on a subway. So that's my car test. You know, it's not going to be the same for others you have to be aware of where do you listen to music most of the time and mm. it's important that yes you listen in your mixing position very very important and you warm your ears up every time you're going to mix but it's also important that if you're going to do a quote unquote car test don't go into a car because you think you have to use a car mm. go into a place where you listen to music often. Gotcha. That's your gotcha. car test. Okay, So that's something I want to mention there, too, because it's easy to get hung up on just certain, how would you say, quotes or, or myths or these sorts of things. And we're kind of just because uh, you, you know, heard it, right? Yeah, you yeah, it yeah, YouTube, so, yeah, yeah, you know, you don't you don't want to just take some of these things for granted. You want to you want everything to be done in context, uh, very much like. How mixing is <laughs> everything no, that's perfect. has the you know, context.
0: We kind of went off on a tangent on the mixing here, which which is great because it ties back to gear acquisition. You know, most of you listen totally. to us, you have a home studio. That's like kind of the norm for, for even someone who just aspires to play guitar or sing or whatever as a hobby. Most of us have our computer, our doll, and an interface, and we're jamming through plugins or whatever, or singing through plugins, and you're coming up with ideas and hopefully recording those. Uh, we hope you do something with that at some point. Uh, I know some of you are doing great things with your music, but I, I encourage uh, me and Ken both. We encourage you to, you know, hey, put something out there, man. If nothing else, is part of your legacy as something that you just love that you're passionate about, but make sure it's quality. Uh, but yeah, you you can accumulate a lot of gear, and you can kind of get yourself stuck. Like, okay, I've got all this stuff, but what do I do now? <laughs> You know what do i do with this is it really going to make a big difference you know uh and like you said ken a lot of as far as studio goes a lot of the hardware components are really somewhat obsolete i know some studios still use them but it might be safe to say that the plug-in versions the premium plug-in versions right um are are probably just as good at least right and is the listener can they would would they even notice a difference
1: well i think it's all in the intention so you're, you know, if you're buying a a a, a plugin, uh, which is very easy to do because many times the plugin is like, you know, could be like twenty nine bucks, and then you're just like, okay, it's small enough for me to just click the buy button, and, right, you know, if your if your immediate thought is, I don't know how it might help me, but I kind of want it, <laughs> you should probably <laughs> stop for a second, um. Just because it has, you know, like a pretty interface or it emulates, you know, this one piece of gear that maybe you've never touched in your life. Mm. Um, that's That's a thing, which is something very curious that I've noticed that how plugins have kind of changed over the years. And I feel like we're at a point where digital technology. I think has successfully recreated many pieces of hard work with yeah. one of those things is when you are looking at some of this like classic gear and you're just like, Oh my God, dude, that's a fair child, dude, I got to have that compressor. Yeah. And you're just like, okay. And then universal audio is like, that'll be $300, please.
0: <laughs> and you,
1: you're just, <laughs> You drop the money on on your your Fairchild, but you put the Fairchild in your mix and you still don't know how to use it. (laughs) Pressure. So you're just having a fancy problem now. And that... A fancy
0: problem, I like that. (laughs) It's a
1: fancy problem. And it's a a nice problem to have. Sounds great, but you don't know how to use it. So that is... A problem that I see more often than not, especially with my own students, because I teach at, you know, audio engineering uh, schools. But the students, they buy these plugins and they buy these pieces of gear because they think that's what they might need. When reality is, it's always about your ear, it's not the gear. So, (laughs) about that, you know, you have to really take into account whether or not what you're using this for is making that much of a sonic difference for you and more often than not, here's another, now we're going to get started into amps and stuff like that. Contextually in the mix, does it make a real difference? Right? Because Jason, I know you you get bombarded with stuff like this, which is oh, I got to get the perfect tone and all this kind of stuff but yeah. at the end of the day does it actually fit in the mix <laughs>
0: that's yeah and that's what it's all about and of course many youtube channels talk about that a lot of the famous folks out there talk about that you know i did a test uh, on my channel last year at some point maybe the year before where I had three tones. One of them was my EVH amp, my, my tube amp here, the EL34 version, and uh 50-watt head, 212 cab, mic'd up with an SM57, old school. Sounds great. I mean, it sounds great, but I also put some tones using Bias FX from Positive Grid. And I'm like, well, what? first of all, which tone do you like better? Forget about which is the real one, which is not. Which one do you like better, you know, with the full mix, with the drums and the bass and that sort of thing. So, um, and of course, a lot of people chose the real amp, but not everyone. chose. I can't remember the, the stats on it, but it, it was really difficult to tell what was a real amp. Cause really when you're listening to music and when I'm listening to music, you may be the same way. I don't really care what it was recorded with. Uh, and I, I'm a bit different. I'm more into the song and I'm not really nitpicking the tone or, or every vocal line or whatever. I'm more into the overall song, the progression, you know, how does it move me? Do I, does it resonate with me? Uh, that's why I like a lot of melodic metal because that's that's just what I love. You know, I'm wearing a Delane shirt right now, listening to their new album that's that's coming out. Uh, a few songs they've dropped. I love Nightwish because it's uh, to me their songs are just are phenomenal. And I never, rarely ever do I say, "Well, you know, I wonder what amp they're using." I, I don't really care, Ken. To be honest with you, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's really telling. Uh, you have. A lot of listeners, and there are listeners who who do care about those details, of
0: course. Oh, many, many. You yeah. know, especially you got, guitar
1: players. Yeah, guitar players, and of course, like engineers, like me, are sure. you know always thinking about okay. But most of the time, I feel like, especially with like music producers, it may not necessarily be the exact piece of gear that they're using, but it's the method of using that gear, uh. which is which is really interesting.
0: There's a light bulb uh, there, you know?
1: Right. Because you're listening to music production and you're like, okay, there's like this delay, but it's how are they using that delay? Is it, is that, that delay echoing into reverb? Mm. Right. Is it creating? It, I feel like there's like this big dimension that's happening. That yeah. is something that we, I feel like as music producers, really try to seek out because it doesn't matter what tool it is. It really just matters what's the end result effect that they're going for. And this is something that I learned quite a bit from, uh, you know, watching guys like Chris Lord algae, who's, you know, done so many mixes um, or, you know, Andy Wallace who did the ghost record. Yeah. You got all these like big guys who, when they mix, they mix through an analog console and not necessarily because of tone, because of workflow, because yes, work, Workflow on a console is limited than what it is in the digital realm. So with that limitation, they have to get creative in how they use it. So it unlocks methodologies that they would have used otherwise if, you know, they had digital. So that's a big thing. It's not necessarily, oh, you know, you got to get the cleanest amount of, you know, signal to noise ratio. Like nobody gives a crap about that stuff at the end of the day. You know, if they don't hear noise, then that's it. That's great. There's no noise. But what is it really unlocking when you use that piece of gear? Right? And this is why you talk about intention, because if you're going to go ahead and say, man, I need this controller, you know, this mixing fader controller, why? Oh, because I, when I, when I, when I want to mix, I really want to have tactile touch and feel like I'm working on a console, you know, that's why people get controllers and stuff like that.
0: Okay. Some people heard that, I guess. Yeah.
1: You know? So if, if you feel that way, have you mixed on an analog console before? No. Okay. So what are you seeking that you haven't had before? Right, that that's another part to this. I would say before you go out and just buy this thousand dollar controller because it looks fancy, get a small fader port from like pre-owners or something. It's like what, like ninety nine bucks or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, you get
1: get a get a fader port and see if that does it for you. Right, you don't need the eight. Maybe you just need the one. Maybe that'll help you. Some, some of these things are not necessarily sonic decisions, but they are workflow decisions. And so it's really uh, paramount that we distinguish between what is it that we actually need in terms of workflow adjustment in order to be more efficient at what we do. And if it's about efficiency, is it because you are trying to get more done within a day?
0: That's yeah. a good point. You see, me personally, I'm all about efficiency. I, I guess you could probably even classify me as a gear minimalist. Um, you know, you and I were talking earlier. I, I just sold one of my guitars, I've got another one for sale. Uh, a lot of people won't sell their guitars because of sentimental value, which I understand, but this is an LTD M1000 Deluxe. I sold it to someone because uh, I'm using that money to buy another guitar. I'll reveal that uh, later. But, uh, you know, people would probably <laughs> say, well, dude, you you recorded your very first album, Sentimental of Value. It's like, well, I haven't I haven't really played it lately uh, much over the past few years. I used to play it all the time, but I'm playing my Ibanez more and a couple other uh, other guitars. So I, I don't necessarily need a wall of 20 guitars that's just going to sit there that I had to maintain and, and change the strings, that many strings, uh, because just sitting on the wall, well, the strings are, you know, they're they're going to go bad at some point right right and to me uh and and i'm not saying everybody should be like this that's not what i'm saying to each their own right but to me less is more uh the less i have to worry about uh the less options that i have uh kind of like what you're talking about earlier if i have less options that's going to create a better workflow for me um you know i I use studio one persona studio one I probably know 25% of how to use it, of of everything that it can do, right? Yeah. Because my workflow is very simple. uh, And I've tried, I've I've seen other dolls in action. I'm like, okay, well, you know, because I thought about changing at one point, just because you read about the latest and greatest, oh, we got to get this, this is better. Is it really better, you know? Uh, so I, I've stuck with something that's kind of a simplified workflow because you made that point a few times and that's a valid point. If you got all the bells and whistles, but your workflows all over the place and you just can't figure things out and it's just, it becomes a chore to record and mix every time you sit down in your studio, I think you got to kind of back up and, and take a look at everything again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything has to be done with intention, man. You can't yeah. just buy it just because you want it uh, that's, I mean, that's nice if you got it. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, but like, there are so many people that I see out there that have a lot of gear, uh, and have no real knowledge of applying that gear. Um, and you, you know, you start questioning, like, how did this happen?
0: <laughs> so,
1: you know, <laughs> for, for me, I actually, I don't, I don't, own any analog processing gear in my studio no i i only have i only have plugins i'm blessed that as an educator i i have access to manufacturers and their plugins but the you know interface that i have the is an antelope uh Mm -hmm. orion studio that's my main interface and it's my centerpiece to doing everything that i need to get done here in the studio that's
0: awesome
1: The rest of it is just how do I tackle my mix, you know, and it's an orchestral mix, right? I do cinematic metal.
0: Homeric. Yours is complex, dude. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah, Even, even having like such a complex project like that is Mm -hmm. going to, I don't even use hardware for that. You know, the only, mm. the only hardware I've ever used was recording on the input, which I did with the drums at a studio that I like to record at. So, you know, I, I, that was my decision. So I go go in there and that's that's the thing too. You don't necessarily need to have all the bells and whistles at your home. Uh, you can you, know, you take your instrument and record it at a local studio that you care about. And you just have to be very prepared for your session. And that would point. make and make you a better musician too because oh, now under
0: pressure you're paying for it right so you're paying like, for <laughs> it
1: you're yeah yeah you you have time right. that's you know time is not on your side so you have oh, to dude. make sure that time is money everything is as it needs to be like you have to be efficient at what you're doing you have to minimize the amount of obstacles between you and your creativity so one of the things that i really liked about when i was at, a, at one of my internships uh i had the opportunity to to record alex skolnick and his uh planetary oh, planetary coalition album which was this like ethnic music sort of adaptation man. that skolnick did a long time ago
0: yeah, that dude's was, amazing too man i love his love his style love his playing
1: oh my gosh and one thing that i remember was alex skolnick was so efficient at communicating to his musicians to the point where they, no lie, recorded probably like 10 takes of every song because they were just so good at it. (laughs) They just, they were like, okay, let's do this, record us. Man, that that felt really good. Uh, Let's do it again. Record it, record it again, record it again. Yeah, you know, let let's just adjust one thing over here. But let's play it again. And and these are like complex pieces, yeah. really like technically hard, and you can see it in the musicians' faces, you know, over time they're 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 getting pushed to their limit because Skolnick down, right? yeah. Skolnick and he's a beast, man. He'll just brrr, 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 you know, the whole time, he'll know with precision how to tackle his instrument. Yeah. <laughs> and you you just don't see it on Skolnick's face if he's tired at all. He could play all freaking day. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was playing. Yeah. It wasn't it so wasn't know. like he was struggling to get this right. He was he already knew what he needed to do. What he was paying attention to was when he was playing the song were the vibes with the band coming to life. Was it really locking in on an emotional level during that recording session? Yeah. And every one of those takes on that album is pretty much a one taker. Wow, he dude. just he just decided he wanted to play more because he could.
0: <laughs> now, in so th- that case, would you say that? Uh, because you're in a professional studio, so they probably got all all the gear and then some, but. You know, in a case like that, it, it goes back to what you mentioned in the beginning with the, the golden rules of recording or, with you know, be, your performance being number one. So yes. they were putting on a stellar performance, which makes your job a lot easier. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I think if you focus on that, you have to have the gear, right? But do you need all the bells and whistles? Like, what do you actually need to capture that stellar performance? Uh, you know, is having the expensive stuff really going to give you an advantage over something that's maybe middle of the road. If, you know, especially if you don't know how to use the, the you know, I,
1: I guarantee you, Jason, if that was recorded with a focus, right? 18, I 20, okay. whatever they are with, with, the, with, yeah. with, with, with the eight inputs, yeah. uh, no fancy processing on it whatsoever. And you had just a couple of shore microphones just yeah. placed right where yeah. they needed to be.
0: The I, th-
1: I think you wouldn't have even cared <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, because you're the part of, you know, recording is you get the right performance. You have the right instrument. That's right. That's even before you get even a microphone and you have the right environment. So those three, if I recorded in, in, in a similar room that had nice acoustics, Everybody had the proper instrumentation to fit the song. And then you had the best performances on the planet for those songs. The, the next thing is the microphone itself. So, and more importantly than getting oh, this has to be a tube or this has to be a solid state. You're more thinking, okay, what's the polarity pattern of this microphone? Because yeah. if I have, let's say, an Omni mic, oh, and this Tabla player is playing you know, right across from the guitarist, you're going to hear the Tabla in the microphone too.
0: Oh, yeah, right? true, true. yeah.
1: Because it's picking up all around you. So it's not necessarily, oh, you got to get the tube mic, right? even though tubes sound great. It's all about proper microphone placement, which okay. is right after the microphone that you choose. So these are the types of things that you you have to think about that don't necessarily pertain to dollars
0: <laughs> well, an expensive mic's not going to help you a whole lot if if you're not educated on where to place that mic it could exactly. actually sound worse right so exactly
1: how 100%. many how many guitar amps were recorded with a 57
0: okay oh, dude I we couldn't even count them yeah people, people still even people back in the day used to record vocals with a 57 back yeah. like in the 70s and 80s man some bands record you know they use that thing for for everything
1: yeah i i think bono even used an sm58 i believe so yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: sounds like man.
1: why are you stressing about having to get this neumann u87 yeah you don't need the u87 <laughs> you can like, you can you can totally get by even with something like a tlm 103 which is like a 600 hundred dollar microphone
0: well, yeah. So So you got the funds to get all that stuff. Great. But but it's not something that you should really stress out over. If you're just correct. trying to get your project out there, you want to get something together, you know, like it all goes back to what you said. Focus on the performance. Nail that down the right environment. Right. And you've got to have those those the right microphones and the basic tools, your computer, your interface and such. Uh, but you don't necessarily need to go crazy with all this gear that unless you know how to use it all properly, I mean, if you're digging into everything and really spending time with it and using it, you might find that you don't need half that stuff, you know?
1: Right. So what does this mean at the end of the day? It means you have to really evaluate evaluate why you need this gear that you or this right. plugin that you want. Um, is it actually going to make a difference for you or is it just nice to have really at the end of the day? And then two, uh, you know, opportunity cost. Is it better, uh, you know, in some cases to perhaps build your own cables or things like that? Or is it better, you know, or even like your own acoustic treatment, like what a lot of us do. Like I build my own acoustic
0: treatment. Yeah, you built your own. Yeah, it's a great example. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, like go to Home Depot and spend the time to build it. It's it's actually kind of fun and it's rewarding when you see it. You're, like, you're learning
0: something. You're learning something in the process. I, I, I need to do that. Exactly. Room, you know? I don't. I mix lightly in here, but I'm. I'm going to be outsourcing. You know, a lot of that stuff for my stuff. But uh, no, that that can be a process of just learning. You know, a new skill.
1: You know? Right. And then third, does it adhere to the golden rules of recording? Like, yeah. do you need this because uh, this is absolutely what's getting in the way? Like, I and, can understand. I can understand if you had the best performer the best instrument the best room but you were recording through a headset microphone like i can understand you needing to get a new microphone if that was the case so then make that decision right but if you've got a decent microphone like okay what else is there in order to stop you from getting what it is that you really need is, is it, you know, I can understand, and this is something that I recommend for guitarists quite a bit. Uh, I may even have told you this a long time ago is get a DI box.
0: Yeah. Get a DI box.
1: Yeah. Get a DI box so that you have a raw recording of your guitar. Mm -hmm. And then that DI box has a parallel output that can go straight into your amp and you can record your amp the way you like it. But in the DAW, you have your raw guitar signal that you can now emulate with an amp sim. And what I like to do is blend the amp sim with the real guitar tone.
0: That and sounds can- really good. That can sound really. And you know, to your point, that's the beauty of using plugins. You know, you can record your guitars with the plugin, right? Uh, again, I'm you know, I'm not sponsored. We're not sponsored by Positive Grid, but that's kind of been my go to for years now. Uh, but you you can still turn off the plugin and have that clean track. So right. if you want to reamp that track, right, you could do that. And to your point just now, though, I I love the idea of blending. Like I recorded, for example, uh, all of the rhythm guitar tracks, the main rhythm tracks, hard pan each one left and right with a with a tube amp with the EVH amp. But I'm now working on some of the ambient stuff in the background. There's a couple clean parts and there's the leads. I'm going to be using plugins for all of those. So. Right. That's a, there's another blend of the two. They can both live in the same world, you know.
1: I honestly don't know any producer who doesn't use DIs to record yeah. guitars with. Yeah, because it gives you more control.
0: And that's you good. have
1: yeah. you have that control that okay, it sounded great when you recorded it yeah. uh, with that amplifier, but now you got everything else in the mix and it doesn't fit. Okay, mm. not a problem. We can always go back to the tone and adjust the tone to what it really needs to be. And I've done that several times in my album. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason, actually, you sent me
0: raw DI tracks. Yeah, sent you the DIs, yeah.
1: So we had, and we had some of the tone. Uh, I think I, I think we've tried emulating the tone on your end at one point, and then we've also adjusted uh the tone later on with uh, I think angle band.
0: I believe Michael uh, so, Romeo did that for you, right? Uh, yes. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yes, so.
1: he did. He did. Uh, so Michael was was gracious enough to do that, yeah. but Michael's very aware of how tones need to sit in the mix.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had
1: I had no issue with his tone in my in my music. Awesome. So that that all that all comes back to hey, like context, yeah. <laughs> context, context, context. Nobody cares about this one thing this one piece of gear on its own it's how does it fit in the whole. so that's the biggest takeaway uh, in my opinion
0: and, I, and I'd come back to it's really more about the song I mean you need a good tone you need good vocals you need good drum sounds but uh, all that you can have the greatest of all that and if your song if your music's not resonating with the audience that you would like it to resonate to well, then that's that's what you should focus more on and getting that performance down as well. Uh, right. Which, by the way, guys, you guys know we do have Metal Songwriters Forge out there. Uh, that has been our staple course at Metal Mastermind. And it's helped a lot of you uh, in your songwriting process just come up with some new ideas and just some some new methods. So, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out at metalmastermind.com. Uh, but Ken, any, any parting thoughts you have, man, before we sign off here?
1: Yeah, I think um, something that I want everybody to be aware of is that Metal Mastermind is always a a resource that is constantly developing. We're always adding to our courses. We're always, uh, you know, addressing our community on Discord, which you can sign up if you uh, are part of our email list. You'll get an email about that. Um, It's exclusive. We want it to be exclusive for our community. So you are part of our family when you are in our Discord. Uh, But when it comes to our courses, uh, like we're going to add uh, a new element to our mixing course, which is going to be symphonic metal. Uh, we've, exciting, been having, we've been having requests for that, so at, stay tuned. That is coming. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, Jason here is actually uh, adding to metal music theory. He's going to add a uh, guitar element to metal music theory, which is going to be really, really helpful for you guitarists out there.
0: Uh, so it's yeah, coming soon'm I'm, I'm hard i'm working hard on that i'm hoping to get that <laughs> out sooner than later we, uh, we uh, but i'm yeah yeah we i mean
1: we've just got so much coming down the pipeline and i want you guys to be aware that you know when you buy our courses it's a one-time fee yeah. but it is a forever guarantee that you will have upgrades and updates and you know metal mastermind is there to do it for uh the metal community so Uh, Let us be your resource and, you know, don't, don't get too caught up with the little things. Uh, Try to think about the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, no, it's good stuff. So guys head over to metal mastermind.com. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and remember always create your own sound and style.